He might be a little biased. Good morning. I hope everyone had a good week. I had a snow day this week, not to brag. Yes, one other student, that's it. I'm sorry, Hopkinton and Milford, I know you did not luck out on the snow day calculator. My favorite website in the world now is this website called the snow day calculator. You enter your school district, how many snow days you've had, and it gives you the percentage chance that you too will have a snow day. Refresh, refresh, refresh. It came through for me. Um, but happy late Martin Luther King Day. We had that also on Monday this week. And um, as I was preparing this sermon, I realized that actually this works really well following up to Martin Luther King Day. I thought, oh, that's a great, like, God coincidence, how the scripture and how some of the things we've been talking about just in our ordinary secular life go together. And then I thought, it is a God coincidence, but also I think that this says something about how what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for and worked for as a pastor and an activist actually fits in really well with the Bible and what we talk about many, many Sundays. This month of January, we are in a series on Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 is our theme verse here at Vineyard Hopkinton. It encapsulates... Let's adjust that a little bit. It encapsulates a lot of what we want to be about and we feel that God is calling us to. We're going to start uh, looking at the whole verse or the whole chapter of Micah 6 because it's a pretty interesting conversation between God and the people of Israel. Let's look at it together. Verses 1 through 8 of Micah chapter 6. God starts out the conversation and he says, Dear people, how have I done you wrong? Have I burdened you? Have I wore you out? Answer me. I delivered you from a bad life in Egypt. That's an understatement. I paid a good price to get you out of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam to boot quality leadership. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, tried to pull and how Balaam, son of Prior, turned the tables on him. So this is a specific story of God rescuing them. Remember all those stories about Shittim and Galgal. Keep all of God's salvation stories fresh and present. And Israel responds to this. They say, how can I stand up before God and show proper respect to the high God? Should I bring an armload of offerings topped off with yearling calves? So they're thinking ritual, religious observance, acts of religious devotion. Would God be impressed with thousands of rams? Obviously, they don't have thousands of rams. This is escalating. Would God be impressed with buckets and barrels of olive oil? Would he be moved if I sacrificed my firstborn child, my precious baby, to cancel my sin? Real hyperbole, God does not want their firstborn. What do you want from me, God? And the writer responds, but he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in us. Do justice love mercy, and walk humbly before God. This is what God wants from us. No thousands of rams or, or barrels of expensive oil for sacrifice, certainly no firstborns, 
Not ritual, but rightness. This is what God wants from us. And it's also what God wants for us. And it's even what God wants with us. This is what God longs to enable in our lives. This is gift and grace to us. In and of ourselves, we, we struggle with this. Justice, justice is far too big for us to carry out. We don't always love mercy. Sometimes we like a little drama. We have secret revenge fantasies. Humility has always been a, a tough sell, but it's hard to snap selfies and not think of yourself at least a little bit. We can't do this ourselves. But when we come together in the community of faith, when we have said yes to Jesus, when the Holy Spirit works in us, this is the life that God leads us into. So as we examine this verse, what it has to say to us today, as we unpack what it means for us, would you just pray with me as we start to study this verse? Jesus, we pray this morning that your scripture would come alive for us. We know that you want to speak to us this morning, that you have something good for each and every one of us today. We want to see you today, Jesus. We want to learn from your word. We want to be formed by your word to us. So we open our hearts and our minds to you today, Jesus. We ask that you would speak to us by the truth of your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So our verse this morning, it says that there are three things that God expects from us. Pastor Rob talked about the first last week. I'm going to focus on the second one, and next week Stephen's going to talk about the third. But they are all connected. Justice is a central concern of the Bible. Um, in your bulletin insert, I've got some quotes from theologians who argue that actually justice holistically conceptualized is actually really a main theme of the Bible. In the Hebrew scriptures, justice is primarily centered around four groups. The first is widows. Exodus 22 says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Widows are vulnerable. They're marginalized. And God says, I am on the side of the vulnerable and the marginalized. My heart is close to them. I will always hear their cry. The next group, orphans, are, are the same. We don't have orphans in, in the same way today. Um, I think of um, kids in the foster care system as, as similar for, for us today, certainly highly vulnerable. Uh, the next group uh, that the Bible really is concerned with is immigrants or foreigners. Leviticus says, Leviticus 19, um, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. And the last group, which frequently encompasses uh, the previous three, is the poor. Proverbs 14 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to them honors God. It's not whoever oppresses the, the, the poor shows contempt for 
the poor, whoever oppresses them shows contempt for their maker, for God. And whoever honors the needy shows honor, not for the poor, but for God. God is just so closely aligned, just loves these four groups of people here. Justice is a fairly set target in the Hebrew scriptures. It's, it's not wishy-washy. We, we know what the target is. We can't bend or, or smush it one way or the other. We're told exactly what it looks like. There are no weighted scales. There's no high-interest loans to the poor. The foreigners are welcome. The orphans are taken care of and even given an inheritance. God knows what he wants. And this is super important to him as he forms the Jewish people, as he forms this community of faith. God knows what he wants. And he wants justice. Justice is love in action. Justice is about our relationship towards others and and how we treat others. Justice is what we should do. Mercy is how we should do it. Mercy is our attitude towards others. It's felt love, and justice is how we express that love. The word for mercy that's used here in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's a little word, uh, it's pronounced hesed. It can be translated as, as faithfulness, love, grace, mercy, loving kindness, Sometimes hesed assumes a uh, relationship between people when somebody really helps someone else out in the Bible. Like there's a time when somebody really helps out Abraham. He says, you have shown me this word. You have shown me hesed. When God describes what he's like, he says, I am slow to anger and full of this word, full of hesed. It's, it's the word for God's love. It's his faithfulness to bear with us. It's his mercy to us. It's his restoration and his redemption for us. It's God's attitude towards us. And because of that, it's incredibly multifaceted, difficult to translate, because love is multifaceted. When you love someone, you care about their opinions. You care about their interests. You spend time with them. You like them, forgive them, learn about them. Love is multifaceted. Love can be parsed out into many other verbs. And God's love for us includes many different elements. But what we really see here as we look at these two phrases, the first part of this verse, that we should do justice and love mercy. And as we look at that in the context of what Scripture says about justice and mercy, we see that justice and mercy are complementary. We can't love mercy without doing justice. We can't say, oh, I really care about you, I'm so compassionate, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And if we try and and do things to care for others, but don't feel any love for others, it's going to be a really short-term game. This this is how Jesus said it. Jesus tells us a story 
about the way God works, about how God does things in his kingdom. In Matthew 20, he tells this story to illustrate God's way of doing things. Matthew 20, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing, so he hired them too, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came to receive a day's wage. In the original, it's a denarius. Nobody knows what a denarius is, um, so, but it was a day's wage, so 100 bucks, 150 whatever. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them received a day's wage. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. The, those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered to them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for this wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous. This was a day's wage. The, the employer was concerned that everyone had a living wage. Justice isn't equality in its, its strictest sense. It usually includes equality, but it goes beyond. Justice for this employer was every home being able to put food on the table that night. The employer wants all of his employees to eat. Justice isn't one person working harder and getting more. Justice is everyone working and everyone being able to feed their kids. God's generosity, this employer's generosity, brings about a larger concept of justice. God's justice always includes mercy. And by the way, in this story, all of us are, are latecomers. All of us were hired 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. Maybe some of us got on the boat at noon. But if you read this story, you think, gosh, that is not fair. I've been working my butt off since like 6 a.m. We're missing the point of the story. The point is that all of us have gotten from God way more than we deserve. God has been generous and kind to all of us. So we see here, when God sets a standard, he provides mercy to reach that standard. The employer in this story decided he had a standard. He wanted everyone to receive an adequate daily wage, and he provided mercy to reach 
that standard. The care on his heart was mercy. Justice was his action. Everyone getting their basic needs. Jesus is saying in this story, this story about the way God does things, the way that he works, that he cares equally about justice and about mercy, about us getting what's right and about us receiving his, his kindness. His love is expressed in justice, and justice is an expression of his love for us. We can't, we can't separate his justice and his mercy. Uh, I have a story. It's a video clip that I think illustrates this pretty well. It's a little dark, so bear with me on the uh, video quality. But it's from a Christian lawyer, Brian Stevenson, who works primarily with children, children in the criminal justice system. So let's watch his story. I was going to a prison not too long ago, and I parked my car outside this prison, and this truck was there. And some of y'all who live in the South see these things all the time. And this truck was like a shrine to the Old South. It had all of these bumper stickers on it. It had the Confederate flags everywhere. It had the gun rock. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I went upside, and there was a white guard standing at the prison door when I got there. And I said, hi, I'm here for a legal visit. And the first thing the man said to me was, you're not a lawyer. I said, oh, yes, sir, I am. He said, I don't believe you're a lawyer. I said, I am an attorney. I've been to this prison before. He said, where's your bar card? When my bar card was in the car, he made me go back to the car to get my bar card. I came back. I felt insulted. I showed him my bar card. I said, look, I want to go inside now. And the man said, all right, all right, but you're going to have to get in the bathroom. I'm going to have to give you a strip search. I'd driven two hours to be there, so I made this difficult decision. I actually went in the bathroom, subjected myself to this humiliating search. I came back out. I was trying to recover some dignity. I said, look, I want to see my client now. He said, well, you've got to go back there and sign the book. I said, lawyers don't have to sign that book. You're coming into my prison. You go back there and sign that book. And so I did. And finally, he took me over to the door, and I was angry. And he got in front of the door, and he unlocked the door, and I was walking inside to see my client. And he grabbed me by the arm and said, wait, let me ask you something. I said, what's that? He said, did you see that truck out there with all those bumper stickers and flags? I said, yeah, I saw that truck. He said, I want you to know that that's my truck. It really antagonized me. I was sitting there waiting for my client to come into. I'd never met this client before, and I was sitting there just angry. And the client came in, a young African-American man. I knew he had some uh, mental health problems, but I didn't know much more about him. And this young man came in. He sat down, and he turned to me. And the first thing he said to me was, quote, did you bring me a chocolate milkshake? And I thought to myself, this is the strangest day I've had in a really long time. I said, no, I didn't bring you a chocolate milkshake. I'm your lawyer. I'm here to represent you. And I started asking my questions, and then I realized he wasn't paying any attention. And so I put my pen down and said, look, I'm sorry. I didn't know you wanted me to bring you a chocolate milkshake. Next time I come, if they let me, I'll bring you a chocolate milkshake. And this man smiled and smiled and smiled. He was terribly mentally disabled, horribly abused as a child. He was in 29 foster homes by the time he was 10 years old. At the age of 13, started showing symptoms of bipolar disorder, but couldn't get any health care, so he started using crack cocaine. By the age of 15, he was showing symptoms of schizophrenia. At 16, he was using heroin. At 17, he was homeless, roaming the streets uh, uh, with, uh, with no help. At 18, he began to have psychotic episodes, and at 19, in the midst of a psychotic episode, he committed a horrific crime. He stabbed someone to death. They arrested him, charged him with capital murder, quickly convicted him, and sentenced him to death. I got the record, and I read through the 
record. And I couldn't find the words mental health, mental illness, mental disease anywhere in that record. And finally, it was time to go to court. I was feeling very hopeful because my experts were terrific. We found these witnesses. We went to court. And when I got to court, which was about three hours from the prison, I noticed that the guard, who I hadn't seen since that first encounter, was the guard that had brought him from the prison uh, to the courthouse. The guy was just sitting over there glaring at me. And we had three good days. The judge was listening. I felt good about the case. And about a month after the hearing, I was really feeling hopeful. And I decided to go see this client. And I went down to the prison to, to go see my client. And I parked my car. And I was walking to the prison. And what do I see in the parking lot? That truck. And I was feeling tired. I didn't feel like I had, to, I had the energy to deal with this guy. I said, you know, I don't want to deal with him today. I'm just going to drive back another day. And I actually turned around to go back to my car and just said I was going to come back another day. And as I was going back to my car, I started hearing that song. They used to sing when I was a little boy. They used to sing this song, Can't Let Nobody Turn Me Around, Turn Me Around, Turn Me Around. And that's when I realized I was losing my hope. And I said, no, you can't do that. And so I got my bar card and I turned around. I said, I'm just going to deal with this guy. And I walked up to the door. And sure enough, there was the guard. And when I got into the uh, front of the door, I said, hi, I'm here for a legal visit. Here's my bar card. And the man immediately said to me, he said, hello, Mr. Stevenson, how are you? Completely threw me. I said, I'm fine. I said, I'll go in the bathroom and get ready for your search. He said, oh, Mr. Stevenson, we're not going to do that today. I said, really? Thank you. I said, well, I'll go back here and sign the book. He said, Mr. Stevenson, I saw you coming. And I signed you in, completely through me. I said, well, thank you. He said, yes, sir. And he walked over to the door, and I was trying to figure out what was going on. And he says, you know, I got to tell you something. He said, uh, you know, I came up in the foster care system, too. He said, I didn't think anybody had it as bad as I did, but I realized that maybe your client had it worse than I did. He says, I'm a very angry person. Been angry my whole life. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. He says, I think what you're doing is a good thing. And then he looked at me and says, I hope you keep fighting for justice. I said to him, I said, I can't tell you what that means to me. I said, I can't tell you what that means to me. He said, sir, can I just shake your hand? And I shook his hand. I was completely blown away. And I turned to go inside the prison, and he grabbed me by the arm and said, wait, 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 i got to tell you something else. I said, what's that? So I just want you to know I did something on the way back from the courthouse. I said, what'd you do? I said, well, I took an exit. And I took your client to a Wendy's and I bought him a chocolate milkshake. It's good, right? Justice and mercy go hand in hand. And when we experience the justice of God, it is with great, great mercy. I love, I love this story. But I do think ultimately, Micah 6, 8... It points us to Jesus. Jesus is the one in whom both justice and mercy are found. Jesus fulfills the justice of God. He takes on the worst of this world. He takes on rejection and lies and shame and nakedness. He takes it all on in the cross and then he overcomes it. He overcomes death and injustice with his mercy, and he makes a way for us to experience the fullness of God because of what he has done for us. God's justice is rightness for us. His mercy brings us into, enables us to have new life. 
Jesus completes all of Micah 6, 8. He does it in humility. He comes and lives with us, life totally with us, the God, the maker of the universe. It's just like he, he rents a regular old U-Haul and he pulls up into the block and he lives in the neighborhood with us. He, he, he works hard. He experiences joy with his friends and family. He's lonely, disappointed, rejected. He does life with us so that he can fulfill the justice of God and bring us into mercy. The book of Micah was written about 700 years before Jesus, but it prophesies about Jesus. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from of ancient days, as, as Micah's writing this, and he's relaying what, what God's speaking to him about, about judgment and, and sin and, and hope and the future, he prophesies about Jesus. And here's something interesting. As, as we, we read the Bible um, and we get into the New Testament, uh, as the New Testament talks about God's love. It doesn't use the same word for love that we've been seeing here. Um, this word mercy, hesed. The New Testament doesn't use hesed. Hesed's a Hebrew word. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Greek word that's used instead is this word agape. Agape means love, but specifically it means God's love. Greek has four different words for love. We just have one. They have four. Uh, there's romantic love, which is eros. There's love for family. Love for friends is different. God's love is also a different word. Agape is similar to said, but it has a really a different connotation. It always includes um, a level of sacrifice, a level of self-sacrifice. It's, um, it's like after Jesus how we talk about love changes. Hesed was something that, that we could do. You know, you could show me Hesed. But after Jesus, it's like language itself said, we have to come up with a different word. We can't call what, what, what we do with each other the same thing as what God does for us. As Micah, as he's commanding us to to love justice, do do or to sorry, to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. We see what this means, uh, fulfilling as we read through the Bible. We see the requirements of justice fulfilled in Jesus. We see even how we talk about love changing as Jesus fills out that picture for us. In Jesus, we see the fulfillment of Hesed. We see God's loving kindness to us, brought into full, full uh, effect in Jesus. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us here in Hopkinton, Milford, January 21st? How, how are we changed? How are we affected by this? Well, I think first and foremost, 
if we want to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, we turn to Jesus and we do it through him. In the kingdom of God, we're not achievers, we're receivers. We can do justice because God has done justice for us. We can love mercy because we've received so much from Jesus. We can walk humbly with God because Jesus has walked humbly with us. We can do this because we have received this. Certainty about what we have gotten from God and about what we will get from God. Certainty about what we're getting from God makes a big difference. Uh, I'm a twin. Some of you met my twin. She was here about a month ago. Uh, I would tell you what she looks like, but you can just look at me. It's fine. Uh, My parents were great parents. They loved having twins. I mean, who wouldn't, right? But you know one of the things they really did enjoy about having twins? We shared everything. Like, literally everything. After 18 years of sharing, when we moved 300 miles apart to go to separate colleges, it was kind of like a divorce or something. What we, what we did, we took a coin, we flipped a coin, and then I don't remember if she got the first uh, selection or if I got the first selection, but one of us, you know, and then we picked back and forth and back and forth because we couldn't look at our room and say, oh, this is mine and this is yours. We just had to go back and forth. And people will say, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it's the worst thing ever. We didn't know any different. We just thought this was how all twins lived their life because we didn't know any, um, at least, uh, same-gender twins. So this was just normal for us. We learned how to share. My parents saved money. It was kind of a a win-win situation. Every Christmas, also, most of the presents under the tree had a little gift tag that said, to Sarah and Katie. So you're always thinking, like, hmm, am I going to get my own or not? And you know the best way to tell whether you're going to get your own or not? Estimated cost of object. (laughs) So one Christmas, uh, my sister opens the present first, a present first, and they're these super cute panda bear earmuffs. Which, by the way, I think earmuffs are really underrated nowadays. They, they, they keep your head warm and they don't mess up your hair. Like, ladies, why are we not all wearing earmuffs? But they were adorable. I mean, these cute little panda bear face from your ears. And I wanted them so badly. I didn't know if I was getting my own. So I did the only thing that under the circumstances I could do, and I went and I locked myself in the bathroom. Am I going to get my own or not? Knowing what we're going to get from God is really important, actually. If we are unsure of what we're getting from God, it is very difficult to do justice and love mercy. If we know the justice that God has worked on our behalf, and we know the mercy that we have received from him, this becomes almost easy. Worship team, if you want to come back up. Um, 
Author Tim Keller says that grace makes us just. And I think this is so true. When I live in a place of of receiving God's goodness to me, I don't want to be stingy. When I live in a place of receiving, um, when I look at all that God has done for me, I'm happy to do whatever I can for others. God calls us to live out justice and mercy, to do it in humility, and he's the one who empowers that in us. So would you stand with me? Uh, We're getting ready to go into a time of worshiping uh, through song, but I want us to pray together. You can um, put your hands out in a posture of receiving, um, whatever's most comfortable to you, but I want us to pray that we know what we're getting from God. God is not holding out on us. He is generous to us, and his generosity enables us to live generously. So Jesus, this morning, we say yes to you. We say yes to what you want to do in our lives, to the justice that you want to bring to this community through the community of faith, through your church here. Yes to the big plans and dreams of the kingdom of God here in Metro West. We say yes to receiving your mercy, covering every area of our life, every area of sin and shame, disappointment, failure, frustration. We say yes to you, Jesus. Yes to your work in our life. Yes to your death and your resurrection for us. Yes to your new life moving in us. We receive you this morning. We receive the fullness of what you have accomplished on our behalf. Amen.